Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast with Simon Cocking, Senior Editor. I'll be doing a series of interviews with people at the cutting edge of green tech, clean tech, and anything else that we think is interesting and worth listening to for you guys, our listeners. Hi. So today uh, I'm really pleased with who we have on the podcast, particularly because we have reviewed his books before and he's e- we've even run some of his uh, YouTube podcasts on our Irish Tech News. So who am I speaking to today? Stephen von Belligem. Uh, awesome. And um, I guess, could you just, for those that don't, haven't followed any of the stuff we've done with you before, could you just give people an idea of your background briefly? Absolutely, Simon. Um, my, my passion is to create and share ideas about the future of customer experience. That's my, my core field of, of expertise. I've been doing research about this topic for the last 22 years um, <laughs> in an academic background, in a research uh, company. And um, yeah, since 2010, I've been publishing books around this topic. Um, I've written five books so far. And um, my key activity is giving presentations about this topic, but I also run a couple of companies. I am the founder, co-founder of Nextworks, which is an, um, an inspiration company where we take people, mainly executives from Europe, we take them to innovative places around the world. We take them to Silicon Valley, we go to New York, we go to Singapore, we go to China, and uh, we show them the innovation that is happening there. And then someone like me is, is guiding them through that journey and is making sure that they understand all the insights that, uh, that we gather during a week like that. So yeah, that, that's what I do. I'm main focus, customer experience, publishing books, uh, making videos, uh, giving speeches, and also entrepreneur with a couple of companies that I that I started. Awesome. So uh, lots of things in many areas, which obviously helps to give you a wider range of experience. Um, right. We just reviewed your book, but for the, again, for those that don't know, um, how would you describe your, your the new book, and what's what's the kind of key thing, key concept behind it? Well, the the title of the new book is "The Offer You Can't Refuse," and it it. It's a positive story about the future of customer experience. And the question I asked uh, myself was, what, what, what could be an offering that you can create as an organization that is hard to resist as a customer? What are components that you need to win the heart and the business of customers? And you know what, what, what I've seen in the last 10 years is that the minimum demand of what customers expect has increased significantly. And in the mm-hmm. past, you only needed a good product at a good price and a decent customer service to be successful. Today, those items are still important. But on top of that, people expect digital convenience. Um, but today, digital convenience has become a commodity. If you have it, then customers feel that it's the most natural thing in the world. If you don't have it, it's a negative differentiator these days. So the question is, what are expectations that people have that go beyond convenience? And that's the, the core of my new book, The Offer You Can't Refuse. And, and there I play with two dimensions. Um, on the one hand, what I've seen in my research is that customers appreciate it if a company becomes a partner in life. And a partner in life understands the, the concerns, the dreams, the ambitions, the hopes that people have in their day-to-day life and is adding value to people in their life without being intrusive. That's a partner in life. And the second dimension, what people seem to value more and more, is if companies add value to society by putting a leverage on the strengths that they have. Uh, If if you look to the world today, we're we're facing many challenges. 
It's, uh, I mean, it's about discrimination and racism. It's about climate. It's about healthcare. It's about the link between healthcare and the economy. There, there's a lot of on our plate, and society is looking more and more and more to towards companies to deal with those challenges and to become part of the solution. So that's the the second dimension. And if you combine that partner in life philosophy with adding value to society, and you take into account the minimum demands of the market, you create what I call an offer people cannot refuse. Yeah, oh, I would agree. And and it's that maybe being the right side of uh, uncanny that, that if, 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 if your values are aligned, uh, it makes sense uh, to stay with that company because you, you know, and I think, you know, maybe even the Elon Musk's and the Richard Branson's by, by backing sustainable renewable energy, it kind of makes you hope that, you know, like Elon Musk's thing will be, you know, we're looking to save the planet and get to Mars. So we have a big picture. Um, and therefore, people buy Teslas because they feel they're maybe helping as well. Obviously, it's a commercial transaction, too. Um, mm -hmm. So 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 I read that in the book and I enjoyed it. And 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 it's it's plausible and and, and I and I hope it can happen. Um, so I guess my question is, is that, you know, at the same time as we have this happen, we have other companies that see this go, oh, I'd like a piece of that. What can we do in a slightly greenwashing way to, to, to drag some of those customers over to our side? So, so how do we manage to make sure that they're maybe, we're not just in a filter bubble and, and they're telling us what we want to hear? Right. Well, you know, it's, um, I, I think it's going to be crucial for, for every organization, not just to talk about what they do, but to demonstrate it, to act upon it, and it, go, it also goes beyond sustainability. Uh, let, let's let's be clear. I, I believe that you know acting in a responsible way towards the climate will be a minimum demand in the next two or three years. That's going to be a commodity. If you if you don't do that, I mean, you, you'll go out of business. But it will be very hard to differentiate you on a on a sustainability level. It's just something that society expects. So the question is, how can you differentiate beyond that? And you know, I, I don't talk that much anymore about changing the world. I recommend companies to think about how they can change their world, change your world. Look at the trade-off that you have, may have in your industry, for instance. In, in many industries, as a customer, if I buy from a company, there's a trade-off. I have to choose between convenience and privacy. I have to choose between buying a cheap product versus a product that is produced in an ethical way. I love to travel, but I know that it's bad for, for the climate. So, you know, there, there's often a trade-off. And I always invite companies to, to try to identify that trade-off in their industry. And once you know what the trade-off is, that's the first, the first point that you have on the map to start to reduce that trade-off and eventually eliminate the trade-off. And if you work like that, then there's no danger of greenwashing because if you then you know, act upon the trade-off in your industry and you want to reduce it, it's going to be very tangible. It's going to be very visible what you're actually trying to improve. And then it's just a matter of, of customers experiencing the fact that you're telling the truth. And I do believe that if companies just, you know, put nice things on their website, nice things on social media, nice press releases, that, that won't work. That will have no impact whatsoever. You really have to demonstrate your impact to the world.
Yeah, look, I mean, I hear you. And I mean, and, and it's the, in the same way we've seen companies go from triple bottom line to quadruple bottom line. And very much you're mapping out the idea that if, 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 the, if the level rises, it's a rising level that pushes everyone up to, to stay aligned with that. So and and equally, I guess, in our area, in terms of covering tech, you know, I, I always feel we have to uh, balance positive, great solutions with not being techno solutionist on things. And so I guess, you know, with with climate change and with the amount that temperatures are rising and uh, chunk, chunks of the, uh, you know, the, the glaciers are breaking off. Uh, humanity has massive potential to do some really positive things to turn it around. Um, do you think we can? How are we doing on that one? You know, because on one hand, there are some very good things happening at the same time as we have some very challenging things happening. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the questions I have um, is, will 2020 be the year of the beginning of the age of the golden age of digital? Is this year the beginning of the golden age of digital? There's this theory that I'm a huge fan of. It's a theory created by a professor economics from Venezuela, and her name is Carlota Perez. Okay. And she has been studying the large transformative technologies that came to the planet in the last three centuries. And we basically had five. We had the Industrial Revolution. We had the Age of Steam. We had the Age of Steel. We had mass production. And now we're in the digital transformation. And in her research, she has seen that every single time when such a transformative technology comes to the planet, that there's an, a similar pattern of adoption and distribution. First, you have the installation period. That means that the new technology comes to the planet and it shakes things up, it disrupts markets, and most people are like, oh no, I don't want to have anything to do with it, and they only see the downside of it. But there's also a handful of people that really gets it, and those people become extremely rich. Think of Henry Ford or Jeff Bezos. And, you know, after a few years, it feels unfair and dishonest to many people that some people are, are extremely rich and others don't get the benefits from this new technology. And then a big crisis hits the planet. Last time that was World War II. Now it's COVID-19. And after that big crisis, we arrive in what she calls the deployment period, which means that more and more people, both citizens, companies and governments, really understand the benefits of this new technology. They start to use it in a much broader way than before. And because of that, the benefits are also carried out in a much more even way than before. And you arrive in the golden age of digital. And one of the characteristics of the golden age of digital or the golden age of a new technology is that it solves the problems from the previous big technological revolution. And if you look to climate change today, mainly the, the let's say the the originator of the problem is the fact that we moved into a world of mass production is one of the big causes of climate change. Mm -hmm. And the theory says, we'll see if that happens in the real world, of course, I know it's a theory, but the theory says we're going to invent new possibilities thanks to digital that will help us to solve problems from the past. And if you, you know, if you look at the technologies that are going to become more important in the next 10 to 15 years, we got artificial intelligence and quantum computing to name two. And the combination of those two technologies, for instance, could help us a lot to find solutions for, for climate change in a much more sophisticated way than the, the, the tools and the applications that we use today. 
Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, it's it's a bit like uh, the, the Alpha Zero concept where, you know, the first iteration beats the human and then the next iteration beats that version uh, from drawing its own principles. And, you know, with the Go, for example, coming up with moves that weren't even considered to be logical or good. And similarly, you know, there have been those examples where uh, designs have been created by just by putting it into an AI to come up with efficient ways. I remember there was one to pack something into a satellite to get it up into space, then open out in in more efficient ways. So absolutely. And I think it's that thing that as as the ability to come up with solutions just go develops logarithmically exponentially. Uh, very much so. I mean, and you know, in, in Scotland, you know, we're seeing with renewables, you have situations where potentially if you're making 140% of your energy from renewables, you you have new paradigms like what do we do with excess energy rather than how do we generate it by burning fossil fuels? So so I would agree potentially. Um now you mentioned in terms of one, what you would do normally in terms of flying around the world and showing people best practice. Mm -hmm. And equally that, you know, obviously we've been in a lockdown semi-lockdown on off mm -hmm. period for the, most of this year so so how has that affected you is it potentially uh, uh birthing pains that brings us to a new paradigm or, or how are you looking at all of this you mean for me personally yeah like because you were mentioning in terms of your advisory and that one of the things you would do would be is you take people to see best case scenarios right. in silicon valley so so uh, is this both an opportunity and a challenge or, or I guess, how's the year been for you and, and how do yeah. you pl plan to progress it? Well, it, it was a bad start, to be honest. I, 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 had, I had a wonderful spring plant when, when it was the beginning of this year. I already knew that I would, I would in between May and, and April, May, June, I was planning to go to Australia twice. I was going to Kuala Lumpur. I was going to Panama, probably go to every European country twice. So I had a wonderful schedule. I was really <laughs> looking forward to it. And then in two weeks' time, everything was gone from my agenda. And yeah. now I can laugh at it. But back then, I can tell you that those were dark days for me. I was really, really disappointed. And I was also a little bit panicking because I thought, you know, this this stuff that I do, it's not going to come back soon. Okay. And uh, for our company, Nextworks, yeah, all all those trips, I mean, that that's just impossible for, for even the next 12 to 16 months, we don't think we'll be able to do what we used to do. And then, um, yeah, I, 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 went, I went walking every morning for a couple of hours to, to you know, structure my thoughts a little bit and to, uh, to think about what to do. And one of the, those walks, I started to think, okay, what is the core of my passion? And the crazy thing is I was forgotten a little bit because if, if you would have asked me in February, I would have said, well, the core of my passion is to uh, is to be on stage and speak for large audiences, uh, preferably internationally. And I, I love to do that, but it's not the core of my passion. The core of my passion is sharing ideas about customer experience. That's what I love to do. Mm -hmm. And the, the stages disappeared, but the other platforms remained. Uh, there's still YouTube. I still show a lot of yeah. content on YouTube. I can still write books. I can publish on my site. I can publish on Instagram. And, of course, we had the, the very... Yeah, the, the lucky situation that this happened in 2020 and that the internet infrastructure was ready for online meetings. And pretty soon I saw that companies still wanted to communicate to their teams, to their clients, and companies didn't want to go silent. And then they came back to me to see if I, if I could help them out with their events and their internal communication and convincing people that, you know, this is a moment to, to look forward and stay positive. 
and that's what I that's what I can do. And and today I I still do that, and I share my 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 passion on each of these channels. And and luckily I do a lot of virtual conferences around the world now. The only difference is I don't get on a plane. I present it from my hometown here in Belgium every single day. And you know I'm very thankful that we that we have this. And um, of course, I, I miss traveling. I miss live audiences. And I, uh, I really hope that that's going to come back um, one day. But in the meanwhile, I'm very happy that we have all these other platforms to share, share ideas on. Yeah, look, I think you're right. I mean, I think uh, if the internet had gone down as well, then, then it would be... Imagine. You know, it would have felt more like 28 days or something, you know? <laughs> like, whereas I think it enabled people to apply a lot of relativity and perspective to it that you know you you were being asked not to travel but you weren't being asked not to create or still be the person that you are exactly exactly um, and it's strange yeah, but you at that moment i had to look for that i had to find that back that 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 core of what i like to do and the moment that i found it back you know i could i i got i got my energy back to really start doing what i like to do so that yeah that's cool that's very positive um so i guess uh, who 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 do you get your inspiration from and where do you get your inspiration from um yeah maybe that's not even been affected by this but but so 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 what are you inspired by well um normally i get a lot of inspiration from from traveling and speaking with people and visiting companies all year long i i have the the luxury in my job that i visit probably between 150 and 200 companies a year where i get invited to speak or where we go and listen to their story, and then I have the I have the privilege to be a, a front row, to have a front row seat on all these conferences and meetings, and and to hear everything from all experts every day of my professional life. So you know, mm -hmm. some people go to a conference two, three, four times a year. I I used to do that every single day, and then you get you get all that inspiration all the time. So that wasn't too difficult for me to find inspiration today. I have to. I have to invest more in that and, and do it more consciously. So I, I try to create the best of both worlds. And I try to interview people in, uh, in webinars, people that fascinate me, people that I think are interesting. I invite them and, uh, and, and I talk with them. And then I share that on my own platform. So it's, it's some additional content online. But the main goal for me is to get inspiration from, uh, from those people. So that's what I try to do now, just proactively look for them. I still do my daily walks and then I listen to podcasts or to audiobooks to make sure that I have a daily feed of inspiration. Look, you know, Simon, I have this weekly video. It's called Stephen's Week. I post it every Friday afternoon yeah. on, uh, on YouTube. Yeah, it's, it's like good. A, I like it. Yeah. And, and you've been sharing it a lot. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, it's, it's four to five minute video with the updates on marketing technology customer experience. And, you know, it's good for me that I, I share the content and many people watch the video. But for me, it's also an obligation to, to follow everything that happens every single day. And I have an external pressure that tells me, Stephen, you need to do this because you need a video on Friday. So, you know, I, I found this structure to organize my work and combine inspiration with output for the market and, and made that, yeah, you know, as, as, as one thing. And that works for me. Yeah, look, I mean, and, and so we've had positive feedback like that, that people uh, listen to the podcast while walking the dog. And then and then equally, I find that walking the dog, doing the school run, like when you're not in front of a screen is when you're actually mentally composing 
ideas and things that you may come to say or write later. So uh, I think it's I think as we've discussed, it's great that we still had connectivity, but equally I think it's good when we have those times when we're not in front of the screen so that we can compost and compose uh you know put our ideas together so i think it's interesting but also affirming to hear that it's a process that you're also using as well yeah yeah absolutely and and you're absolutely right that the, the no screen time is still the most creative time i you know i i work together with my wife in our company we we, we run it together so for the last uh, six months we've been home together every every single day and uh, it, it works very fine uh, we're still married so everything's <laughs> going well but you know we've been working so often together and last friday we finally had a, a little bit of a calmer day and we said why don't we go out for lunch together children are in school so let's have hours and it's crazy how many ideas we had of things that we should do things that we could do things that we could do differently and we never talked about that in the last six months. We were just working hard together in the same room, but just sitting next to each other, no screen time, and just talking about all the things that we do. We, we had so many new ideas, and we thought, oh, it's, it's so sad that we didn't do this more often and that we were just doing our work and not taking the time for this. Look, uh, I think it's, it's so true. Um, and it is a challenge, I guess, that we have to just keep finding ways to remember to do that and like you say it's almost shocking when we realize how creative we can be when we get out of our own way um what, what you've said is nice in that it leads on to um like so what's next for you i mean i when we got your book i was i was like oh didn't we just get a book from you so you know you're obviously busy and productive what are you planning for the next you know 12 12 to 24 months well, first of all, um, the previous book is three years old. So I wrote that one in uh, in 2017. So you see how fast time time goes. Yes, yes. Um, well, and now I'm going to be working on an interesting project for, for the next couple of months. Um, it's only going to happen in Belgium and the Netherlands, though, for now. But I wrote another book, and it's something completely new. I wrote a technology thriller. Oh, yes. You mentioned that. Yeah. At the end of your book. It's in the end of the book. Yeah. And it's uh, it's called Eternal. And it's, you know, I wanted to create a world in the future. It, the story happens in 2041. But based on everything that I've seen and heard in the last three, four years, and it describes a world of which I think this could this could be the world in 2041. And then, yeah, there's this big technology company that comes out with, uh, with a new technology called Eternal, which promises you the eternal life. And um, then, of course, all kind of bad things happen. And basically, the, the CEO of that company that launches the technology, he, uh, he wants to make America more powerful than in the past. And he wants to play, he wants to take over uh the ideas of people so he wants to monitor directly what people think and how they act based on his technology and then all kind of things happen and things go wrong and then uh yeah it's gonna be an uh, exciting exciting story i think I'm, I'm very excited about it uh, unfortunately it's not going to be launched in english right away i wrote it in dutch and um, yeah, we're looking for companies to translate them. And hopefully in a few more months, I will be able to send you a copy. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, I, I'd be interested because, I mean, between Black Mirror and Margaret Atwood and her various future dystopias, uh, I think it's a very interesting area. And I think sometimes fiction 
can be a more powerful way. It's like George Orwell wrote 1984 because he right. felt that he would reach a wider audience if he did it via fiction than mm -hmm. just doing a report. So I think it's a great idea. And who knows, you may have a, an even bigger audience for doing that. I hope so, yeah. And I, I like the fact that you mentioned uh, Black Mirror. I see it. If people ask me what, what to expect from this book, then I, then I always say it's a combination of Black Mirror 24 and the Pelican Brief. Those, those kind of three series and, and films, it's that kind of combination, in my opinion. Eh? But it's up to the reader to make that judgment. Awesome. So look, um, thanks very much for your time. Uh, where and how are the best ways for people to uh, stay up to date with what you're up to? I would invite everyone to join me on Instagram and YouTube. I share a lot of content there. On LinkedIn, everything is, is posted as well. And if they want to read all the things that I do, they can go to my website, stephenvanbellegem.com. Awesome. Thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Simon. It's a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed that podcast and we will be bringing you more across as diverse and interesting a range of stories as we can find. You're welcome to reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn or by email and give us any feedback and let us know what you'd like us to cover in the future. Thanks and keep listening.